Hey, bub. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Talkin' Snicked, The Wolverine Show. It's the best podcast there is at what it does, and what it does best is tell you about Wolverine. I am your host, Ryan, and bub, you made it. We are at the end of March, the end of Silver Samurai Month. So thanks so much for sticking with it throughout the month. I hope you guys have enjoyed the stories that we've covered from his debut to his early adventures against the X-Men. Of course, I gave you all some homework to go back and listen to a few of his key adventures that I had already covered in the past. And then, of course, we took a look at his uh, storylines where he kind of fell on the honorable side, on the heroic side even. And now here we are. And I'm trying not to bury the lead, but I did spoil it a little bit at the end of last week's episode when I said what story we're covering this week anyway. So without further ado, we are going to cover a five-page story that was part one of a five-part backup story featured at the end of Wolverine Volume 4, numbers one through five. So it's a storyline called Scorched Earth. Like I said, it's like five parts. Each part is five pages. This first storyline is called The Last Stand of the Silver Samurai. So, Bob, as I was planning out this month of covering Silver Samurai, seeing that we had five weeks, thus being able to cover five stories, and knowing that I had already covered like two of perhaps the best, at least two of my favorite Silver Samurai stories way back when. That was the homework that I gave out of going back and listening to that episode of Talk and Snicked from way back when. Uh, I was not sure what direction to take. I know that I wanted to focus more on his heroic side if I could. And so that is why ultimately I chose to include the Doombringer series. I just feel like that was kind of the beginning of the change. That was really the first time we started to see more of an honorable side to him, at least more of a heroic side. We had seen an honorable side at the end of issues, uh, Uncanny X-Men issues 172 and 173. Uh, we actually saw a little snippet of it in 174 that I didn't cover in that episode where Wolverine goes back after the whole thing goes down and he tries to confront Mariko about her decision. And the Silver Samurai is like, look, you know, I'm I'm in charge of the clan blade right now, and uh, I'm going to do my best to like uphold the laws of the clan and follow Lady Mariko, my sister. And yeah, we kind of have like this uneasy truce from that point forward. And eventually we do get to him kind of taking over the clan in Wolverine volume two issues, 56 and 57, a death in the family. After that, there's a lot of decent silver samurai stuff where he is on, on the right side. He's an uneasy ally of Wolverine. There's a lot more respect between those two characters. And so I wanted to go back and cover the hows and whys that change came about. So that we got to see in Doombringer, which I covered in, I think, the third episode this month. And then, of course, last week when I I covered his brief stint as the leader of Big Hero 6 in Sunfire and Big Hero 6, 1 through 3. 
originally when I had this month planned out, I, I wasn't going to include the Doombringer story. And so I had planned to do this particular story, the last stand of the Silver Samurai for the fourth episode. And I was actually going to cover stories featuring Silver Samurai's son, Silver Samurai 2, Shingen Harada. But looking back at his adventures, I kind of covered most of the important stuff with that guy in the episode where I covered Amiko's story. That is Wolverine's adopted daughter who was raised by Yukio and then also was raised in part by the Silver Samurai himself. Uh, I, I covered his relationship. Well, I get Silver Samurai 2's relationship with Amiko. And then, of course, we also covered his some of his more recent exploits in the alternate Wolverines month from way back when, when we covered Old Man Logan and his stories in was it Madripoor with the Scarlet Samurai? It was like Moon Over Madripoor, I believe was the storyline that featured Old Man Logan teaming up with the Scarlet Samurai um, in partnership with Silver Samurai 2, which was Shingen Harada. And so I decided to scrap that idea and I added in Doombringer and I moved this one to the end. And I figured, you know, if you guys all stayed with me for five whole weeks, you know, I haven't been doing talking snicked proper for a while, took a few months off there through the holidays while I kind of reestablished what we were going to do with this particular podcast moving forward before I decided, you know, I want to spend some time on, on Wolverine's villains because he's got good villains outside of Sabretooth. So I, I decided since this is a five page story and the the remaining four parts of this story I'll cover, but they're not super important to the Silver Samurai aspect. It, they're just good contextually uh, that I would move this one to the end and that this episode would actually be a bit of a shorter episode. I mean, we'll see, because if you've listened to the podcast uh, for any length of time, you'll know that if I get on a topic, I can ramble on. And so hopefully I don't ramble on in any meandering direction. Hopefully what I'm giving you all is good stuff. But yeah, I'm only planning to do a, a somewhat short episode for this one. Uh, so I think without further ado, we can jump into this five-page story. Let me give a, just a little bit of background. So Wolverine Volume 4, that was the ongoing Wolverine series that launched in 2010 that was written by Jason Aaron. Now at the time, I believe Jason Aaron was also writing the Wolverine and the X-Men ongoing uh, but maybe that one hadn't started quite yet. I, I kind of get my dates confused because I read like Messiah Complex through uh, Second Coming in like one sitting. And then, of course, we had like the whole Utopia era before we ever got to Schism and then Wolverine leaving the team and moving back to New York with like the Beast and Kitty and a couple of the other teachers like Toad and Husk and stuff to create the Jean Grey School which is the the setting of Wolverine and the X-Men. And, and maybe that came later. Maybe that was like 2012 or 2014 when that ongoing started uh, without having done the research. I, I get a little foggy. So maybe Jason Aaron came in and was actually writing the Wolverine ongoing for a few years before they, they started that title. But this was, it, it wasn't necessarily a standalone, but as the solo ongoing Wolverine titles usually do, it's they cover Wolverine's more, mature storylines, more adult storylines, storylines that affect Wolverine and his loved ones outside of the context of his time on the X-Men. And, and this 
ongoing was was no different. So this is the one that famously started with the Wolverine storyline, Wolverine Goes to Hell. Now, this storyline, it's a good Wolverine story. We get a lot of Wolverine bad guys, and I like the stuff that they do with Wolverine, even if I don't necessarily like the story altogether. The thing with this story, too, is it kind of just started in the middle. Like, by the time this storyline starts in, in part one, Wolverine is, like, already possessed by some demon, and his soul is, like, already in hell as it's revealed at the end of, like, that very first issue. And that storyline continues on, and we get snippets of who the villain is throughout the story as things are later told to us. But there's a whole prologue of that story that that wasn't told that needed to be told. And rather than do like an issue zero or an issue one half or even like an issue 1.5, what they decided to do was write that prologue in like a five part storyline called Scorched Earth. And how it was done is that story was then told as a backup story in the pages of the Wolverine ongoing. So you'd read issue one and then you'd get, you know, part one of the the background story, which would serve as the prologue. And then you'd go and read part two and then you'd get part two of the background story, etc. And what it did is it, it served to tell us the motivation of the major villain of the storyline. And none of that really matters. Like none of that pertains to Silver Samurai well, I guess it does in a way, because eventually we do see Silver Samurai's soul in hell as well, where he has to team up with Logan. But I'm not actually covering the whole Wolverine goes to hell thing. I'm just not going to I'm not going to cover it, at least not in Silver Samurai month. Maybe at some point, eventually I'll start covering, you know, some of the more recent major storylines from the 2000 teens and on, uh, but not in this episode and, and, and not during Silver Samurai month. All that we're focusing on is the five-page background story. And you think five pages isn't very much, that you can't really tell a full story in five pages. But you can, especially a story like this, which is the last stand of a particular character. Because you don't have to give the background and all of that for the character. You can just start with the character as they are and then tell the story. But I want to take a minute not to toot my own horn because I'm not trying to brag here, but I did take a comic book writing class a few years ago in which we class members uh, wrote our own individual five page stories. And going in, you'd think, all right, well, five pages isn't very much to tell a story. But if you're a good storyteller, you can tell that story in those five pages. I, I want to just say now I failed that assignment, at least in my own opinion. Uh, I managed to tell like four pages of a really cool action story that was four pages of a 22 page story. And so I just kind of had to end it with this really bad fifth page and it wasn't, and it wasn't good. I don't think that I accomplished what I'd set out to do, but it did kind of open my eyes to how you can shape a story, especially using no more than like four or five panels on a page. Uh, now, Jason Aaron does use a little bit more than five panels in a couple of these pages, but he still manages to tell like a very uh, compressed story 
that serves its purpose in, in only five pages. And I, I really dig it. So this story was written by Jason Aaron. We had art from Jason Latour. We had colors by Rico Renzi. We have letters from VCs Corey Pettit and edits from Jody LaHub. And I really like the art style. It's like a very pulpy kind of an art style. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's like abstract or anything, but just the way the characters are drawn, there's thicker lines and things like that. And even in some of them, uh, there is some abstract use for shading and things like that. And the very first page of the story, it tells us where the story is taking place. And it's taking place at the Clan Yeshida Ancestral Compound, which is found in the Miyago Prefecture in Japan. So the Miyago Prefecture is a fictional prefecture in Marvel Comics where the Yoshida clan resides. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's inspired by and based on the real life prefecture of Miyagi prefecture, which is about an hour and a half or so north of Tokyo by high-speed train, uh, like northeast. So it's up along the coast. I don't know if it's a coastal prefecture or if it neighbors one, but it's pretty close to the Pacific Ocean north of Tokyo on that same main island. So just to give you an idea. And we see the Yoshida compound and it's on fire. And the the color in these next four pages, it's all like reds and oranges and yellows and blacks. I really, I really dig how they did the colors and how Jason Latour did the art for this. Uh, but what we see is the silver samurai. He has been impaled by sword. He's got arrows sticking into him. And he just kind of starts off saying that he was a foolish man when he was a child, or I guess he was a foolish child um, when he was a child that he was he was greedy and he was ambitious and he was selfish and he hated those who stood in his way which makes sense i mean that's kind of how we saw him in the pages of daredevil and then again in the pages of marvel team up and of course in his first appearance in new mutants and of course that all bled into his first major confrontation with wolverine and his uh, i get well confrontation with mariko as well all of those things were there. And he says that as he grew older, he became more enlightened and he learned to embrace the family that he'd never known and that he grew into a leader and he was finally able to walk an honorable path. Which, of course, that's the journey that we've covered so far this month uh, on Talk and Snick. So there you go. We see finally in this third panel who is, is fighting him. And it seems to be another group of samurai, perhaps also clad in silver, but on their chest, instead of being adorned the rising sun of Japan, like we have on the silver samurai, instead they have a shape that looks to be like a, a hand, a, but not the hand ninja, but more like just a, a large hand. It almost looks like the fighting Urukai from, from Lord of the Rings, only it's, it's not their samurai. And eventually we 
we learn that they are working for a group called the Red Right Hand. Uh, but they're telling the mission to Silver Samurai. They're saying, you know, we are here to burn down the entire ancestral compound of Clan Yashida that we are to desecrate the graves even. Like they are supposed to destroy all of it, which again makes sense considering this is part of a larger storyline called Scorched Earth. So they are here to, to not just defeat the Silver Samurai, not just kill the Silver Samurai, but like wipe the existence of Clan Yashida from off the face of the map. They are to destroy and burn down everything. And of course, that kind of sets off the Silver Samurai like one last time. Because the first time we see him, he does. He looks defeated. He looks to be at the end. And of course, upon hearing their actual mission, he says, no, no one will disturb the graves of my family, not while I yet live. And he actually has this like really cool moment where there's a sword I mentioned that he was impaled on. And he actually takes the sword out himself and fights with it against these guys and he says in his head you know that he's he's talking big and he's trying to to kind of scare these guys so that they realize who they're up against but really he's just trying to stand uh with which i just i love the symbolism and like the way the words play around because he's telling us you know i'm just trying to stand and we don't know yet that this story is called Last Stand of the Silver Samurai. It's not until the end of this page that we actually see that that is the title of the story. So it's like, all right, cool. Well, he's trying to stand and this is his last stand. So again, I like the symbolism. And, and we actually get a splash page, like a one page splash in a five page story, which <laughs> uh, I like that he was able to work that in because you don't usually see a splash page in in shorter storylines because you need more panels because there's so much story to tell and you only have five pages to do it but no jason arian is bold and he's like nah we can do a whole page to get this really sweet silver samurai pose of him standing there you know wielding these dual swords with his his armor kind of bent him bleeding and he's got arrows sticking it out every which way it's just a very cool way to do it, and, and I really enjoyed it. And so then we kind of get the rundown. Silver Samurai kind of realizes what they're wearing. You know, we've already seen what they look like and, and who they are, uh, but now from Silver Samurai's point of view, he can actually see them up close. And he's asking, you know, like, who, who sent you? Was it Viper or was it someone else? And... And they say, like, nah, we're soldiers of the red right hand, and we are seeking vengeance in their name. And so the guy calls Silver Samurai a dog, and that, you know, we will, that they're going to send him to the bowels of hell. And so Silver Samurai is like, all right, fair enough. I'm a dog. Come do your worst. See what happens. And we, oh man. So we get this, uh, we get another page here. And this is, we're already on the fourth page out of like five, maybe it's six pages long. Maybe they, maybe they gave us six pages here. Yeah, they gave us six pages, luckily. So it's not a five page story, it's a six page story. But we're already on page four and we get an action sequence where we see the Silver Samurai kind of taking these guys on almost one at a time as they lunge at him to try to stop him. And one by one, you know, they all are able to deliver blows to, to weaken Silver Samurai even more 
But despite the fact that they are able to, to land these hits on Silver Samurai, he is still superior. He is still faster and stronger and better. And he manages to defeat them all in single combat. It's really great. He goes through and he says, my name is Kenuichio Harada. I have been a villain, a savior, a master, a slave. I have stolen and I have sacrificed. I have loved and I have sinned. I have bled and I have shed the blood, or excuse me, shed the blood of others. Uh, and yeah, he, he he's like I said, while he's saying all these things, while he's narrating the story to us, he is is taking hit after hit, but he's also racking up defeat after defeat on these bad guys. And he's finally fought his way through these these foot soldiers and made his way kind of back to the the greater compound this first battle was taking place like in the outer yard so he's actually far away from the buildings themselves but he has fought his way back to the building unfortunately for him there are still several archers who are um, carrying on their task of eliminating everyone and everything that is alive here at the compound as the blaze continues to burn so again, we get some really more, some more really great panels. Again, all the coloring is like red and yellow and orange and black. So you get this feeling that it's just this massive inferno at this compound. You know, if it's a feudal compound, you know, chances are that there's a lot of wood in that building. Probably not, you know, 700 year old wood, but when the wood, when the old wood was replaced, it was replaced with new wood. It wasn't replaced with, with metal or concrete or anything like that. So yeah, there's a lot of fuel for a massive fire here. And, and we get the feeling that due to the colors and stuff, it, it's it's hot and it's warm and it's a dire situation. I, I really can't say enough about like just the way that these panels are presented. Jason Latour did an amazing job drawing these things. And uh, the colorist, Rico Renzi, uh, did like a fantastic job, really like just using the right palette and and giving us this feeling and and he does he he kind of says like I, it doesn't matter if I, if i die it doesn't matter what i come back as in the next life because i will carry on and clan yashida will carry on and he says you know his journey that he's gone through over his whole life has strengthened his spirit and it's that spirit that lives within the clan and within the compound. And so the red right hand can do what they do. They can reduce everything on earth to ash, but clan, the clan will come back. His spirit will endure. And as he's saying this again, you know, he's, he's fought his way into the compound. Now he's taken on these archers that, you know, were just filling him up with all of these arrows and things. And he does, he goes through and he manages to defeat and wipe out every single member who is there that belongs to the red right hand. And in his final moment, on, on page six here, his final moment, he manages to, yes, the, the compound is lost. There is no one here to, to put out the blaze. It will consume the entire compound. But he defeated the red right hand. They are unable then to desecrate the graves of all of the fallen clan leaders who are interned here on the compound. So in his final act, he he walks to the grave of Mariko Yashida, his sister. 
and he takes a moment to kneel down and pray. And in this moment, the the artwork is still the same, but the color palette has changed. The background is now like a light, soft blue. We see the, the bright, vibrant pinks of the sakura, the cherry blossom leaves that have fallen and are falling. It, we're, we're taken from this, this infernal blaze, this hot, dire situation into a very passive, very serene moment, a moment that allows the silver samurai to capture his honor in one final act. And he does. He comes to the grave of Mariko, his sister, a sister that over his lifetime he had grown to love and admire and respect. And he kneels down on her grave, and the implication is that in his final act, to die with honor, that he commits seppuku. Uh, again, it's implied, they don't show it. It, it, it's just the implication. But we get this, this final storyline, this, this final few sentences. He says, I will miss the smell of cherry blossoms, the feel of cold steel. The taste of well water, so cold, it makes your teeth ache. I will see you soon, my dear sister. My son, I will miss my son. And that's it. Like, he dies. That is the last stand of the Silver Samurai. So, Bub, there you have it. We got six pages to end this man's life. This life where he transformed from selfish angry, greedy, ambitious child from villain into hero into the leader of clan Yoshida into a hero of Japan. So, so there you go. It, he, he goes out with, uh, with a bang. He's able to die with his honor and I guess, maintain the spirit of the clan. Uh, again, it's, it's a, it's six like amazing pages. I'm really not doing them justice. I I would describe it panel by panel if I could, but I I don't want to rob you all of that experience. So again, this was the six page storyline at the back of Wolverine volume four, number one, written by Jason Aaron. It's on Marvel Unlimited. So if you have a subscription, it's, it's literally worth going and checking out. It's six pages. You just open the issue, scroll all the way to the back. The last six pages, you're going to get this story um, you can continue on and, and read the whole thing, but if you're just interested in, in Silver Samurai for the time being, it's worth going in and, and just looking at that one last story. The rest of the storyline has to deal with a possessed Wolverine as he tracks down Yukio. Uh, we see that uh, this possessed Wolverine like tracks down Yukio to her home in Japan and and while she is doing her exercise in her dojo, he comes in and he wounds her. The next issue deals with Amiko coming home and finding Wolverine there, um, you know, attacking Yukio, injuring Yukio. So Amiko and Yukio are able to escape. Eventually Wolverine gets another mission and goes off and does whatever else it is that he's supposed to do. And then the last two issues of the scorched earth actually introduce us to like the overall villains in this storyline. It's a group of people called the mongrels. I've touched upon them before. They are like illegitimate children of Wolverine who have grown up hating Wolverine. And so they ally themselves 
with the Red Right Hand, which was an organization of people who had in the past had been like victims of uh, Wolverine's violence, whether it was times when he had lost himself to a berserker's rage or times when he had even lost himself to mind control and that sort of thing and had gone on rampages and left orphans and, and widows and widowers and those kind of people. They've all banded together to form the red right hand in order to, to seek vengeance upon Wolverine for, for his acts. The leader of this group is the one that devised this whole plan and made this deal where if they capture Wolverine and send his soul to hell, then like Wolverine's body would then be possessed by a demon who would like, you know, do their bidding and stuff, at least in the meantime, you know, until they didn't need him anymore. And then after that point, he was able to go on and, and do his own thing. And so that's like the origin of this, this villain over this storyline. And so, like I said, they, they tell it as a, as background stories. Now, before we end out this episode, there is one more appearance of the Silver Samurai that I would like to cover, and that is a brief appearance by the Silver Samurai in the final two episodes of the Hulu Marvel series Hitmonkey. So I love the FX series Archer. I'm a big fan of that show. It's great. I haven't seen the last two, I think, seasons, uh, but they are on Hulu now, so I'll probably have to get to it at some point and finish it out. But I love that series, and Marvel's Hitmonkey is in that kind of same vein where it deals with you know, a, a different part of society. It's not quite, you know, spies and that sort of thing. It deals more with, you know, hitmen and, and organized crime and things like that. But it's in that same vein. It has a lot of the same irreverent style humor. Uh, it's got the same uh, way to put it. Uh, it's got the same kind of like raunch to it that uh, that Archer does and all that. So if you've, if you've liked that series, if you've liked the series Archer uh, and you like Marvel. Um, it's worth checking out Hitmonkey again. It's like it's an R-rated series. It was a Hulu exclusive or a Hulu original, uh, but it's pretty good. It has the voice talents of Jason Sudeikis and George Takei and Olivia Munn and, and Fred Tetashore, to name a few. Uh, and it mostly takes place in Japan. It was based on like a short-lived series from only a few years ago by the same name, Hitmonkey. I forget who the the writer was. Uh, but yeah, it's a somewhat lesser known character, a very minor character from greater Marvel, but it's still funny to see that character get a series and it was a fun series, uh, a lot of, uh, gratuitous violence and things like that. So it's definitely worth a watch if that is the kind of thing that you like, uh, if you're a Marvel completionist, yeah, you'd probably force yourself to watch it, but it's not like it ties into the MCU or has any kind of connections to anything else that Marvel has done. It's just kind of this standalone 10 episode series, but it's worth watching if you like that kind of humor or those kind of shows. But I bring it up because in the past, when I've done Wolverine stories in Japan, I've covered episodes of the animated series, both uh, X-Men, the animated series and Wolverine and the X-Men because Silver Samurai featured as a villain in episodes of, in each of those series He's also appeared in, in several video games as boss or as an unlockable playable character, things like that. 
But but this series, he was just kind of like a background character who showed up to throw down with Hitmonkey in the season finale, or at least the series finale of of Hitmonkey. So like I said, Hitmonkey is a 10 episode series. Silver Samurai makes his debut in episode nine towards the very end as like a bodyguard for Japan's prime minister. He's like stationed outside of the headquarters of the prime minister as there's this like protest going on. And so he's just kind of there to um, encourage keeping the peace. And he just kind of stands there. doesn't really do much. He just kind of looks cool, looks imposing, which is how I want, uh, how I want my silver samurai to appear. If it's going to be something as like a cameo, then yeah, just have him come in, look cool. You know, everybody knows who he is. He's a, a Japanese celebrity. And it's one of those things where he's known to be a hero, but he's also known to be a villain. So when they bring him in for the show, you're kind of wondering, all right, well, what's going to happen? Is he, is he going to end up being like this honorable ally or is he going to be, uh, you know, this some villainous knave? And the answer to that question is given pretty quickly in the finale episode. Now, the big battle uh, at the end of this whole show, for lack of, of spoilers, uh, it doesn't take place between Hitmonkey and Silver Samurai. We actually get like Silver Samurai as like the warm up. So it's funny the way the battle starts. There's like a hot dog vendor. Well, it's Japan. So the guy's selling um, like rice balls. And he's like a vendor who's selling rice balls to people that are at this, this event, this political event for this prime minister and silver samurai gets hungry. And so he tries to order one and the vendor's like, well, I'm sorry, I can't sell any to you because these are for people inside the event. And technically you're outside the event. You're the help. And, uh, that doesn't sit well with silver samurai. He like overturns the cart, throws, throws the cart away, causes a scene and eventually has a battle with Hitmonkey because Hitmonkey is there and like in the ensuing chaos gets knocked down. The protest becomes a riot and Silver Samurai then has to throw down with Hitmonkey until I don't remember if he's defeated or if he gets into a different battle. There's like all these different characters there. It's kind of a perfect storm of chaos at this point as all of these characters are trying to get access to this building that the silver samurai is supposed to be guarding. Uh, but yeah, it's the show's worth watching and it's definitely worth checking out. Even just if you go to episode 10 and just watch like the beginning, you're going to be totally lost, not know what's going on, but silver samurai is there. He looks cool and there's a pretty sweet battle. <laughs> so I just wanted to kind of throw that out there as a, as an extra little thing. I would love to talk about Silver Samurai's appearance in The Wolverine because it's not really Silver Samurai proper. In this movie, Silver Samurai is kind of played in two different parts. Like we actually have a character named Harada who doesn't wear any kind of Silver Samurai garb whatsoever, has no mutant powers. He just happens to be like a member of Clan Yashida as like one of the special guard for the clan. He has connections to Mariko from the past. You kind of get the feeling there was like a former romantic collection connection there. Um, and I, either way, at this point, he serves the family, he serves the clan and he serves Mariko. So that is like part one, you know, that's Harada. But we also have two different versions of a member of clan Yoshida wearing samurai armor. The first is Mariko's father, Shingen Yoshida. He's wearing like samurai clothes that are silver, 
they kind of fight in the dark. So you, you get the feeling that what he's wearing is silver or at least chrome and shiny, but it might not be, it might just be a play of the light. It could have been just something metallic, a different color or whatever. But like I said, they're, they're fighting in the dark. And so you can't really tell for sure, but that's like the first one you get. And then of course, at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, we actually find out that Mariko's grandfather, Ichiro Yashida, who is an original character, I believe for that movie, he is actually in like a mech samurai suit that's made out of adamantium and refers to himself as the silver samurai. So yeah, not really the character. I like, I, I like the effort. Like I like that they tried. They're like, this is what we're going to do. We're at least going to try to make these characters resemble a version, a take on silver samurai. So at least we have that unnecessary sure but again they, they get an a for effort if they get a d for execution so i just want to throw that out there as well because i don't think i've ever actually covered that movie on this podcast and so never really had a chance to talk about that part now i'm not like some people that really hate how the third act went i was fine with it uh, you gotta change things around for movies you just do you can't do a direct adaptation and it wasn't an adaptation of Wolverine volume one. It was inspired by Wolverine volume one. So it borrowed when it needed to, and then it changed things for artistic license to make a movie work. You know, they just, that's how they did it. And, and I still enjoyed it. So pub that, that does it for today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed silver samurai month and, and yeah, seriously go back and check out last stand of the silver samurai and uh if hit monkey sounds like it might interest you and you haven't watched it like give it a shot it's it's 10 episodes and they're like 20 minutes each so it's not like it's a super long thing to get through you can knock it out if you binge it on like a weekend afternoon So, Bub, if you have enjoyed Silver Samurai Month, then I think you're all going to like what I have coming down the pipe for you next month. I'm super excited to get the month of April, April kicked off because that is going to be Lady Deathstrike Month. Now, I have the whole month planned out. The first two episodes of the month, we are going to be focusing on some of her early stories, and I really glad to cover these stories because they're really interesting and they're really good and they're super important for understanding who the character is, but they're not major enough stories that they're on Marvel Unlimited. And frankly, I don't even know if these stories have ever been collected in trades just based on the time and the series that these issues were part of. So yeah, tune in next month Lady Dex Deathstrike. Man, I cannot talk today, can I? Lady Deathstrike Month. <laughs> uh, as we cover her early origins. And then for the second half of the month, we're actually going to cover some of her more recent storylines that actually see her possibly on the side of good. So I think that's enough of a tease for Lady Deathstrike Month coming April. Bubs, if you like the show and want to keep the conversation going, you can find me on Instagram at TalkinSnicked, or you can reach out to me via email, TalkSnicked at gmail.com. Make sure you stay tuned to the end of the episode. Check out the track Back from the Dead by the very talented musician known as Retcon X. He hasn't been doing stuff lately, but all of his older stuff 
can still be found on his YouTube channel and on his Spotify playlist. Just search RetconX. Make sure you go check that stuff out as well. I don't think you'd be sorry. Until next time, bubs.